Acts chapter number 5. Don't you turn your Bible there today. We're preaching to the book of Acts, and uh, we're, we're talking about the continuation of the Acts of Jesus, the continuation of the Acts of Jesus, and actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But as we look at, and it'll be a while going through this book, it's a very uh, needful book to understand the church. We've already looked at church order. We've seen how that things were done when they needed to make a selection. We've noticed that. We've already seen the first problem that happened in the first church and how they dealt with it. What was the first thing they always did when they had a problem? Pray. That's right. Prayer was their first solution for their problems. It ought to be ours. And so we come now to a subject that probably is not the one of those subjects that we got up this morning hoping I'd preach on. But let's read it, and I don't skip any of the Bible. I love it all, and God put it here for a reason, and so we need to get it. Uh, in fact, I believe what happens to these two people today happens to a whole lot more people. We just don't know it. Um, God knows it, and maybe some folks discern it. But it happens. Now listen, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men rose, wound him up, I mean, get, got him ready to go get buried, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after they had this thing planned where it looked good and holy and spiritual. And so it was about the space of three after, hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. They didn't have cell phones, so he couldn't communicate he was dead at the time. And so Peter answered to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Mm. Agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now, if we were to stop right there, the average person would say, 
Wow, nobody won't join that church. That's not true. Don't you look at it. See, when you, when you apply church discipline, some folks think, oh, you can't do that anymore. Well, I mean, if God told us to do it once, I don't think he's changed his mind about it. And look what he says. But the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's forge. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. In other words, no more backsliders want to get in on that. Now, don't blame them. But the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord. And multitudes, both of men and women. Can you imagine that? Multitudes get saved because God kills two people at church. Maybe we need that to happen. I don't know. I've got Ligon and Bobo on hold right now, just in case. But I want to talk to you today on this subject. When Christians die too soon. I didn't say when lost, but when Christians die too soon. All you say, well, everybody's going to die when God says this. That's true. But sometimes God will change when you're going to die because you got his will, didn't do his will, don't intend to do his will, so he don't need you anymore, so he takes you out of here. All right? And so Jesus lived to be 33, we think, or that about. And I don't think nobody could say he was out of the will of God, right? So it might be 11, it might be 2, it might be 6 months, it might be 3 days, it might be 102, it might be 104. I don't know. That's God's call. But today, let's look at it when Christians die too soon. Let's pray. Father, help us today and God lift us beyond the point of every wanting to do what these two, this couple in the church did. God, help us not to be such glory hounds that we would even consider, consider listening to the lies of the devil and tempting God. God, forgive us. If we've even tried to do that, God, convict us. And God, bring on us today a touch that we want to live close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. W.A. Crystal used to say, in the beginning of the church, this was the big black bee in the book of Acts. Do you see it? But everything's going along good. Everything's doing great. God's blessing everything, and then all of a sudden, here you have, but that big black bee, he says, is one of the worst words in the Bible in the book of Acts. So I believe the Bible teaches that a believer can cut their life short. I believe that it teaches that we can die prematurely because of our sin. Not that these persons are lost not lost, but are removed from earth and will suffer loss in their rewards in heaven. Now, there's no time length given by God. This one was a very 
brief time. The, the church was only two months old. It was only 80 days from Calvary here. And yet you already had people backslidden. So the Bible didn't give us any length of time. He, in fact, in some cases, he's very, very long-suffering before. If you look at the, in the Old Testament at the kings, before that he goes ahead and takes to life, and you can, one of those is Samson. You can study his life, and Samson committed the sin unto death, and it was simply because Samson just wanted to do what he wanted to do instead of what God put him here to do. And so these persons are not lost, but they lose rewards in heaven. If you don't believe it, you can find, just jot this verse down, Second John, verse number 8, look to yourselves. In other words, look at yourself, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, those things that we've worked for for Jesus, and God has given them to us, and we've worked really hard for them, but that you receive a full reward. In other words, make sure what you've served and you've worked for, you get them and don't lose them because you can lose your rewards. There's other passages, but I'll stop there. Christians are meant to die. The Old Testament uses it this way, to die full of days, full of days. In other words, to fill up his days. Now, just because a person lives to be old does not mean he died full of days. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But what he's saying is full of days means you fulfill the days that God put you here to serve. That's why you were here. And you say, well, I've never been saved. Well, you ought to got saved a long time ago. You're behind already. Because you were put here for a purpose from God. So the Bible tells us many who did not uh, but died prematurely. How foolish to imagine nothing can cut your life short. Every now and then I'll run into one of these carnal, backslidden believers and say, well, I, I'm saved. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Yeah, but you're going to, I tell you, you're going to change your tune at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to wish you'd have had a different walk with God at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to wish that you'd have received some crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to wish that what God had given you, you'd have used for his glory instead of digging a hole and putting it in the ground. Y'all with me? Let me show you something. Look at 1 John chapter 5. For not John, but 1 John chapter 5. There's only five chapters, so that's the last chapter. See, I can count up to five. First John chapter 5, look at verse 16. Now, John is writing to believers. He's writing to new Christians here. He's writing to people who've been saved. He calls them my little born ones. All right, he calls them little ones, which it's translated my little born ones or my little born again ones. I think what Chris said he got born again, what, ten, did you say 10 years ago today? And it's 10 years ago today, and, and we've got quite a few folks that come up to me, and they remember the very day that they got saved. I don't remember the, I don't remember the date I got saved, but I sure remember the day I got saved. I couldn't tell you the date because I had a hangover that morning, but I do remember the day because I walked out of there different than I came in. 
And so look at verse, chapter 5, verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. In other words, there, uh, there's a lot of sins we commit that's not the sin unto death, and we confess those sins, and not only that, we pray for our brothers and sisters that they will confess those sins, and look, but there is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. In other words, there is a certain sin that you can commit. We don't know how far it is. We don't know what line it is, but there is a line somewhere out there in our life that we can step over in our rebellious backslidden, disobedient condition where God says, that's it, that's enough, I'm done with you. That's a sin that don't pray about it. Don't gather and pray about it. It won't do any good. The decision's already been made. You seeing that? Now, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So I'm glad that's in there. Because I do a whole lot of sin and not unto death, right? And so do you. But that's a very serious statement. Sometimes people just continue in sin for years and never die. And you say, well, what about them? Well, have you ever considered the fact that just because they say they're saved does not mean they are? Listen, you may visit some old man sitting on his porch in his rocking chair for 50 years, and he'll tell you, oh, I got saved. I got saved back there when I was in a revival. I got saved here. I got saved there. Wouldn't dart in a church door. Hadn't given a dime to God since he got saved. Hadn't witnessed anybody out cuss a sailor. But he'll tell you how saved he is. That may be why God lets him live, because he knows he's going to hell, so there's no need to worry about him so just don't assume because somebody lives a long life that they're safe and I also think sometimes God will show us his long suffering by letting somebody live a long life so somebody can win them to Christ before they die even though they got nothing else they've got salvation because somebody led them to Christ well Also, it may just be that when God gets through with you, when you cross over that line, when you commit that sin, that God renders you useless and sets you on a shelf and you're no longer any good to God. He won't use you, won't bless you, won't touch you, won't empower you, won't do anything. You're done. You're just like a vase collecting dust. That's what you are. And so he may do it that way. Or God may leave some people who's crossed over that line. Now, listen to this. Uh, this just dawned on me this week. I got thinking about that. God uses thorns in the flesh. Now, with Paul, I think it was physical. It was a, a, some type of physical thorn in the flesh with the apostle Paul. But God may leave some people who's committed the sin and the death down here and let them keep living to be a thorn in our flesh. You ever thought about that? So when you get all ticked off at that guy, why in the world does God not just go ahead and kill him? Maybe he left him there so he could make you that mad. So he could tick you off. So if he could see where you are spiritually, help me. 
You see, Paul said, I prayed three times, God take this thorn away, but it won't. Maybe you got a neighbor throws beer bottles in your yard, kicks your dog, cusses your wife, spits the back on your shoes. God, why don't you just get him out of my way? Could be God set him on the shelf just to be an irritation in your life. Because you see, if some folks don't have irritations in their life, they won't serve God dog. They just won't. So here's the story about two relatively new converts, um, just very, very, very new converts, husband and wife. They had got saved in the other, either the 5,000 or the 3,000 that got saved. And so they're, they're new converts, just been saved a month or maybe two months. And so I want you to notice the first thing that happened here. And by the way, these people, these two people were killed by God. They were slain by God. Slain by God. Do you notice that? They were slain by God. He takes care of the, the whole deal. You know, he makes, he makes care that everything he does, he takes care of there. And the Bible says they were slain by God. He takes care of all those particular things there. So God don't have to, uh, nobody else gets blamed for it. God just takes the blame. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is the sin of pretense, verses 1 through 3. Look at the scene of this sin. This scene starts up in chapter 4, verse number 32. When this multitude got saved, you, you, you don't understand it because you live in such a wonderful society. Yeah, I know we've got people shooting folks out of windows and, and we've got all kinds of bad things going on and, and our health care costs us, a, you know, a, a zillion dollars a month and, and we've got all those kinds of messages going on in our world, but you still are the most blessed people in the world. Now you just, just, get it, just get it right. But when these folks got saved, listen, it wasn't like it when you got saved. They would steal their businesses. They would rob their, their goods out of their house. They would come and steal everything out of their house. They would not sell them goods from their merchandise places. They would not do anything to help them. They wouldn't hire them. And if they worked for them, they fired them. They did everything they could to make their life miserable. And yet, still, they gave their heart to Christ. Mm. We wouldn't have many saved today, would we? So Barnabas, who uh, you remember the Bible tells us in verse number 36 that he's named Barnabas because uh, he's a son of consolation or the son of, he, he basically is a son of comfort or, uh, or encouragement. And so he had some land, probably in Cyrus, and so he sold it and brought the money to the apostles for distribution. He didn't make any to-do about it. He didn't say, you know, I want to put this in a great big, one of them great big checks, like when they, somebody donates something now, they give a big old cardboard check that covers the stage, you know that? Well, we want everybody to know that Pepsi gave, you know, a $100,000 scholarship. Well, I don't know why we, get gam we give all our gambling money to them anyway. Don't worry about that. They didn't do that. Here's what he does. He just takes his, all the money that he got for that land, takes it and lays it to the apostles' feet, the apostles' feet puts it in the treasury of the church, and that's done. he walks away and does what God wants him to do. Nothing's done, no big to-dos about it. It's not announced. And I'm going to tell you this this morning. If you come and say, preacher, 
I'm going to give a million dollars to you today. And I want you to tell the people that I give it to them. I'll tell you, you keep your money. Now, it would be hard. <laughs> but if you said you was going to give a million dollars and you wanted the credit for it, I wouldn't take it, nor I don't think our church would take it. Because we give for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. And if you really want to give for the glory of God, nobody has to know that you gave it. Now, if you, if they refuse to do it and you see me following around somebody real close, you know that's the one, amen? But the truth of the matter is, Barnabas didn't care about that. That was not his big deal. Barnabas, he just wanted to serve God. He wanted to do something for God. He was a Levite. He, he wanted to get back to be doing what God wanted him to do. And, and so they were all gathering with love for each other. And there was such excitement going on when they needed something. Here's somebody over here that had it. And when they needed something, here's somebody over here that had it. And when they were beaten, here was somebody over here that had a little uh, knowledge of trying to help treat sicknesses or wounds. And they would come and have I mean, it was just excitement moving through this 8,000 people that had given their heart to Christ all helping and loving one another. Barnabas just put his in and it was swept into the treasury and to help other people and that was it. But look at the scheme of this sin. So these two comes up with the scheme that will make them look as wonderful as Barnabas did. They, they couldn't help notice that the treasury report went up quite a bit. And so... They said, we'll keep coming up with the scheme, and we're going to look generous, and we're going to look spiritual like Barnabas. Now, all along, their heart's not right, right? Not, not right. So they sell some land. Now, get this. They sell some land. Obviously, they, had, they were fairly well off. They sold some land. They gave part of the land to God and kept part of the land but they agreed together to do it. They got together, and they said, that's a whole lot of money right there. Well, God don't, you know, God, God probably get by without that. Have you seen that, have you seen that financial report? They don't need that money. I tell you what, let's do. Let's just, we won't let them know, and we'll just agree together to give this part. And so when I go in, I'll say, Yes, this is what we give. This is all we gave for the land. We got for the land. And then when you come in, you'll say the very same thing. So they agreed together to tempt God. Now, who put that in their heart? Satan did. Well, I thought you said they're saved. They were. But Satan put in their heart to lie, to lie. You see, he, number one, they didn't have to sell that land at all. Y'all got me? They didn't have to sell anything. It was not commanded. They were not told to. They had no, they had no uh, command to sell that land. There was no uh, stewardship drive going on. There was no campaign going on. They, they did not have to sell that land. And not only that, when they did sell it, they didn't have to give it all. They could have just given a part and said they gave a part. 
But they agreed to get, they, that wasn't good enough. No, they had to say, we want to be glorified. We want to look really spiritual. And so we're going to say, this is everything we got. We sold it all and gave it to God. That's what they're going to say. Mm. Now, y'all didn't do that about your tithe this morning, did you? Well, it's quiet. You don't have, you see, our, we don't ever talk about the tithe because it's an, I mean, it is just something that's built into our life. I mean, tithing is just what we do. It's just automatic as feeding my German shepherd. It just, we just do it. And, and, and if you're saved, you do too. Or if you don't, it bothers you. Every time you spend God's tithe, instead of give God's tithe, it ought to eat your lunch. And so they pretend or imply that it was all, but they did not have to do any of this. They had no restrictions, no regulations, no nothing like that. And here's what we call this. Now, y'all listen to me. We call this hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Because a person does a hypocritical act or acts hypocritical does not mean they are a hypocrite. Jesus said that there were some hypocrites that was going to hell. But he also said, here's some believers that's acting hypocritical. Are y'all with me? You see, uh, uh, some folks won't to be seen better than they are. So that's a hypocrite. It's one that hides behind a mask. That's what the, the Greek meaning is, one who hides behind a mask. And it actually comes from, from their um, entertainment world, from their social world. It actually was uh, to hide behind a mask. They, they called them the mask men. And they would have these actors and they would have all these different masks and they would mime out different things. And before long, you forgot the mime and all you was doing was concentrating on the face because he had already gotten you to think that he was who that mask said he was. I see Baptists has learned how to do that good. I was at uh, Huntsville several years ago at Panoply, and and so we, uh, the kids were younger then, and so we we went down to watch the mask man. They had one there, and and he never speaks. He don't say a word. You 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 can't talk. Well, you can talk to him. He won't talk back. He just looks at you, and, and so then he starts his show, and he's probably got a hundred masks, and he's taking this mask on, and, and it, it, it turns him into this. And, it, and, and they don't look like they ought to turn him into nothing. It's just a little old mask, a plastic mask. Just stick it on, holds it on his face. But the next thing you know, you're caught up in it. You're saying, how is he doing that? I'm, I don't even know he's there. You don't even see him. And so he goes through his whole show, and everybody claps. And you know what they did? They clapped for a hypocrite. <laughs> That's what he showed us that day. It's what a hypocrite was. And verse 3 says, the source behind it all was Satan. Satan, fill thine heart. So the source behind hypocrisy is who? Satan. 
Now, the devil wants you to want false glory. The devil wants you to want more than you deserve. The devil wants you to want something for somebody else that they don't deserve. The devil wants you to play behind the mask. I'm spiritual. I'm a soul winner. I'm a giver. I love Jesus. There we go. The source of it is Satan. Have you ever thought about this, that the same Holy Spirit that lived and Ananias and Sapphira is the same Holy Spirit that lived in Simon Peter and the same Holy Spirit that gave Peter discernment over that lie was the same Holy Spirit that was in Ananias and Sapphira. God simplifies it for us, doesn't he? If I need y'all's attention, has anybody gone to sleep yet? Is anybody playing with your phone or are you just keeping me up? I know you keep up with me in Scripture, and that's fine. If you want to bring your phone in and keep up with me in Scripture, but now if you're reading porn on there, there's a problem with that. Uh, George McDonald wrote, half, I want you to get this, write this down. Half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Isn't that good? Hypocrisy is deliberate deception. Deliberate deception. You see, you can look good on the outside and your heart can be ugly. Ananias may have looked good on the outside, but his inside was ugly. And she may have looked good on the outside, but her outside was ugly. And so the, the source of their deception was Satan, and it was even in a believer here that he got him to lie. He got a believer to lie. Now, I believe there, you say, well, why doesn't God do that to everybody? Because it seems to be that, are y'all still with me? It seems to be that in God's dealing with us and our sin as Christians, number one, if we sin, and immediately, and immediately the Holy Ghost convicts us and we ask God to forgive us and cleanse us and we're ready and turn from it, God's good with that. God's good with that. Okay, but say we don't do that, God convicts us today and he convicts us tomorrow and he convicts us the next day, convicts us the next day, and, and we still had not done anything about it. The conviction keeps getting worse. Well, God says, now listen, if you don't confess this sin... I'm going to take you out behind the woodshed and I'm fixed to beat you within an inch of your life. You see, God believed in corporal punishment. I just hate to tell you that we did. And so, it seems to me like if we miss out on the confession thing, that we'll get the chastening thing. Now, the chastening thing may be that God will kick over something financially for you. It may be he'll kick over something physically in your life. It may be that he will, he will give you some emotional difficulties. It may be uh, you have church problems because you have a situation in the church you won't deal with. There's a lot of things, a lot of ways God can deal with us. A lot of ways God can spank us. Right? He can do it through our children. 
He can do it in a lot of ways. He can spank it. You, you come in after you've been working somewhere 25 years and lose your job. And I know one of our men that did that. Now, I'm not saying that was chasing, but I'm just saying God can use our jobs to chasten us. But the very last thing God wants to do is to take us out of here because he put us here to do something for him. And even though we hadn't been worth killing up to now, God says, listen, if you'll just get right with God, I'll still use you a little bit. Okay, now you say, well, where's that at in the Bible? Well, look in 1 Corinthians 11, please. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 30. For this cause, and we're taking the Lord's Supper. And by the way, you say, well, that's why I don't come on, on Lord's Supper tonight. It's because I don't think I'm worthy. That's not why you don't come. Won't you quit lying about it? Get your mask off. That's not why you don't come. Let me tell you why you don't come. Because you've got some sin in your life that you don't intend to get rid of. That's why you don't come. Because the Lord's Supper was never given to the church so that we could be worthy. The only one way we can be worthy, and that's through the blood of the Lamb of God. That's it. He makes us worthy. He's the worthy one. And when he moves in, we are worthy. And so we have, that's why he said, examine yourself. Prove your own selves. Examine yourselves. Look what's down there. And look, look what happens. Look, look what he does. The, the, the scripture tells us that those who don't do anything, they won't deal with it. Some are weak. That means they, they, they're weak in, that could be many, many, many areas. Again, financially, physically. It, it could be in the family, all kinds of things. Look, then he said sickly. Could be sickly. Could be physical sicknesses. And then last, some have been killed. They may not even know who they were. I have only pronounced two from the pulpit that I thought had committed the sentence of death. I had permission from the family to do that because they had prayed for both of them and I had led both of them to the Lord and I had watched them faithful and I'd watched them serve God and I'd watched their lives go down because they wouldn't get right with God and I've stood and begged them and pleaded with them and they wouldn't get right with God and finally both met tragedies in their life. And so that's the last place God wants to go. He, 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 he don't want to go there, you know. He just, he just don't want to. In fact, I think it's in, in Hebrews maybe chapter 9 or in chapter 12, he deals with the, the dealing of spanking his kids, and he says the very last thing is, is that he has to take their life. That's not what he wants to do. Now, if you're saved, you're going to be chastened. You say, well, I thought God only chased those that sin. Who don't sin here? Come on, Holy Ghost, spirit-filled spirit person, raise your hand. Anybody? No. 
So that means we all get convicted, and probably most of us don't deal with it as we should many times, and we get spanked a little bit till we do. Can I get amen? We do. We've, how many of you experienced that? Sure, I have. I get it all the time. I get it all the time. That's why I'm. That's what, why I come up with that thing that God leaves some people here so that they can be a thorn in your flesh to spank you. I, I believe God's done that for me. But he says, look at the spirit in it. The real problem that Satan keyed on was their envy. So they wanted the same recognition and attention that Barnabas had. They wanted his testimony and they wanted his influence, but the problem was they didn't have his motive. You see, the mass said, this is, this is who we are. We're, we're Barnabas. That's what our mass says. But behind the mass, they had no heart like Barnabas. Y'all still with me? And so envy was what got them, and then pride was the second thing that got them. And I'm going to give you some scriptures to look up for, for envy. Just look up James chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. And then, by the way, the will of man is never overpowered by Satan. The will of man. Can you all hear me in the balcony? Okay, well, I have to kind of be careful looking up in the, the, the lights, but I can just kind of feel something coming at me from up there, you know. The will of man can never be overpowered by Satan. So when you tempt God, you're saying, I want to be like the devil and I want to tempt God, even though the devil gave his best shot and the devil was the best tempter that's ever been and he couldn't get Jesus. And by the way, you're not going to overpower him to get your will either. So when you sin, don't blame God. No. When somebody else sins, don't blame God. So James chapter 4, look it up. And then pride was the, the second reason. Look up 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 and 7. I think it's interesting. He uses it there to, to describe a pastor that he shouldn't be a novice. Because the devil will come and put him in a snare. His head swells up. All he's got to be told is just a few times how good he is. And the devil will come, sweat his head up, and then God will have to humble him in some form or fashion to bring him back down to that place of humility. So it was a sin of pretense. It was the spirit of perception that I want you to notice that Peter had. Notice that God didn't blame Peter, although they had come in under his preaching. If, some, if they come in and I'm preaching and they walk down here and said, we're going to give this money all to God today, and I'm sure their services were quite different. They were probably sitting wherever they could, and they lay it down, and, 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 and they kick over dead right here. God's not going to blame me for it. Now, you just have to guess if I kick over dead. But I wonder how many times things has happened to people and situations has happened. We just won't admit they come from God. We don't like to do that. 
because that means we tried to overpower his will. Mm. Am I getting anywhere? You see, I believe that God's men, many of them, not all of them, but many of them have discernment, and they can discern the motives of people who are hurting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter, he, he had a discerning motive. He had a discernment about him, and he knew what had happened. God had already told him. He knew. And look at their punishment. They died. Psalm 28, 13, write this down. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And I'm going to write you down four or five scriptures, and I want you to write them down. I'm not going to them. In the Bible, there's more I could give you, but these are just a few places where people committed the sin and the death. Number one, there's a man named Achan. Joshua chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. He was taken to the valley of Machir, which was the valley of where uh, Hosea, uh, where God took Gomer. Evidently, Hosea's life must have been miserable because of all the things he had to go through. And also, uh, Achan was killed right there. It meant the valley of trouble. And then there's Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. They were priests, but they did what God told them not to do, and God killed them. There's a prophet. You'll have to read a whole chapter, 26 verses. This might kill some of you. But 1 Kings 13, verses 1 through 26, read about a man who wouldn't do what God said do. He sent another man to do what God said do, and then he did what God said not do, and both of them got in trouble, right? And then write 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. I gave you that verse. Write John 15, 2. If any branch don't bear fruit, he cuts it off. Write 13, Luke 13, verse 7 through 9. And write Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I think Brother Mike talked about that the other night. And then write 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. And you'll find that the sin and the death is very, very real. Very, very real. You say, well, why did God go to such extreme on the very first one? Because he had to start it out right. If the church don't start out pure, it'll never be pure. And look what happened, and I'm done. First of all, in verse 11, there was great fear. I'd say so. Great fear. Verse 12, there was great unity. Verse 13, there was great reverence and respect. In other words, that stopped hypocrisy. No one to try to fool God anymore. And there was great evangelism, verse 14. People just getting saved everywhere. And there's great miracles, verse 15 and 16. Miracles happening to everyone. And if you'll read that text, it closes by saying every one of them that came was healed. Now, if they was today in a clinic charging professional fees, they would have made quite well that day. But they weren't doing it for that reason. They were doing it so that people would believe that Jesus 
had died on the cross, rose from the dead, and they could have everlasting life. So God does some Bible mathematics in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, there's addition. Chapter 5, there's subtraction. Chapter 4, there's division. And later on in chapter 5, there's multiplication. That equals a powerful church. I don't know about you, but I don't want a dishonorable discharge. I don't know what the line is. And I'm through with these two lines. Could you sing this this morning? And it would be the motive of your heart. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus so. How I love Jesus because he first loved me. Can you... Could you sing that? And from the bottom of your heart, throw that mask away, take off your muddy shoes, and enter the sweet presence of our Lord. Could you sing this one? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.